Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. I'm Brianna Gray, National uh, Press Secretary for the Bernie Sanders Campaign, and I'm joined by campaign co-chair Nina Turner to talk a little bit about some of the media bias and bad press that's been going around today that doesn't really represent the true picture of what's going on today. We had some fire tweets from some mem mem campaign staffers today. We did, yeah. And I know that you want an opportunity to respond and say your piece, so I'm going to turn the floor over to you, Senator. Thank you, Bree Joyce. So yes, our very own David Sirota really captured the fact that the senator is really neck and neck in, in a wash poll, Washington Post. Uh, ABC poll within striking distance of the vice president, yet the headlines did not reflect that. And so, Bridget, I don't know if we can pull up the headlines for folks, but I'm just going to, yes, look at my cell phone right now because <laughs> I want to give you the right information. So to be really clear, the poll that you're talking about is this yes. ABC News Washington Post poll, which puts Joe Biden at 29%, mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders in a close second place at 23%. Yeah. And then a significant drop-off for Kamala Harris at 11%, Elizabeth Warren at 11%, Buttigieg at 4%, Castro at 4 Klobuchar at 2 Better work at 2 That's right. And so, you know, polls are snapshots in time. We all know that. They're snapshots in time. And certainly when your person is doing very well in the polls, right. you're like, yes. <laughs> and when they're not doing well in the polls, you know, you're not so happy about it. Sure. However, there are other measures that we, all of us, should be measuring a candidate's viability by and not just the polls. Right. However, if you're going to use a poll, <laughs> the headline ought to, yes, I did say, ought to reflect the true nature of the poll. Right. So Bree Joy just uh, named the numbers for you, but if you all go to David Sirota, and that's S-I-R-O-T-A, one of our colleagues on this campaign, he pointed out in his tweet, that today's WASH poll slash ABC poll shows at Bernie Sanders surging 12 points since April, only six points behind Biden, and with more than double the support of his next two rivals combined. Yet there are headlines about this poll, and somehow they neglected to mention Senator Sanders. And so you can see the headlines. The WASH poll headline was Biden holds lead in Democratic presidential contest as Harris is praised for her debate. And we have another headline by ABC, Harris scores in debate performance while electability keeps Biden up front. And then for the Washington Post, Harris warned tie for third place in the new 2020 Dem poll, but Biden still leads. Right. So the, the headline literally just skips yes. over the second place yeah, just candidate literally. to jump right to third just because there is this narrative that is being pushed pretty pervasively. Mm This week on the podcast, we are speaking with Ellie Kennedy. Ellie is a full-time student in the political science department at the University of Florida, and she also works at the public opinion research lab there, which is the polling site. I came across Ellie on Twitter when she called out her director for intentionally leaving Bernie Sanders off their latest poll, and she had tweeted about it. She had said, and I, and I quote, I work for the lab that ran this poll. When I asked our director why Bernie wasn't included, saying that he's a top three candidate, I was told not for long. This man thinks it's more likely for a Republican Senate to remove Trump than Bernie to stay strong in the polls. 
So I clearly agree with Ellie here, and I wanted to invite her on to discuss this uh, Bernie blackout situation, because obviously it's not just with the media. If, if a polling site is intentionally leaving him off the polls, that's sort of, um, you know, manufactured consent in the front end. So um, welcome, Ellie. Glad to have you on. And tell us a little bit first about what you do there at the uh, Public Opinion Research Lab. Yes. Okay. So I am bottom rung. Um, there are so we do like the actual conducting of the poll. So we're the ones calling you mm-hmm. to run the survey and you're most likely going to tell us to screw off and stop calling you. Uh, so that's what we do. And I didn't work on this particular survey. I wasn't around when we were running it. It's, it's a campaign poll. So they run um, pretty quickly. We usually finish them in about a week or two because if, I mean, if they go on longer than that, they're just not going to be accurate. Yeah. So I didn't know anything about this poll until I got in one day and he was um, just showing the results to us. And he's like, okay, you got the results now. We're going through it. If you could ask the pollster any question, what would you ask? And I'm looking at it. I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I, sh- I shoot up. And I'm like, where's Bernie Sanders? Yeah. And he just laughs like hard. Wow. And, and I'm like, no, seriously, I, I'm pushing him. And I'm like, and, and he basically just says, like, well, why would he be on there? I was like, because he's a top three candidate. Exactly. And that's when he gave me the, the not for long comment. I'm like, well, I mean, that's just ridiculous. I was floored. I was. That is ridiculous. And I think it's important to mention that this is an organization that touts its academic uh, viability, its commitment to veracity, its uh, commitment to having high standards, et cetera. So this just seemed a little bit off to me. And I think um, later on in the thread, your director, uh, Mike Binder, actually commented that the reason was is he wanted to pull what he thought were the two top candidates and then some random other folks, which ended up being, I think, Kamala Harris and Mayor Pete, to see how they would uh, stack up against Trump, what their viability was in an election against Trump. Yet, I think um, I think it's really ridiculous to say that Bernie is not part of that trio. Pretty much Biden, Warren, and Bernie are neck and neck in every single one of these polls. So it just seems really disingenuous to me. Yeah, his his answer to the emails that he got, it, it's, it's got to be complete nonsense. Because his answer makes it seem like this was a premeditated decision when he wrote the poll. Because this is our poll. I mean, you, a lot of the times we get people who hire us and they send us the script, but no, this is one of ours. We wrote this one. So he's saying, oh, he chose the candidates for so-and-so reasons. This is premeditated before we even started running it. If that was the case, then he would have just said that when I asked. Right. When I asked. Instead, he came up with this a day later when he yeah. got a bunch of criticism. Yeah. <laughs> so he's doing a bit of uh, covering my ass sort of a thing here. And I think you make a really important salient point that this was your poll that you constructed. This wasn't for an outside client. It was your poll. No, and I really wish I'd gotten to see this one beforehand because I would have raised a big stink about this because we do we can influence the writing of these polls a little bit. Yeah. So your director, Mike Binder, is also a professor in the political science department at the university, correct? So on a certain level, as far as I'm concerned, he should know better. He should uh, work harder to keep his antecedent bias out of the equation and to really look at the data. I mean, Bernie is a top three contender. You're right. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, you are also a political in the political science department there at the university as well, right? I am. Yes. 
So you obviously have an interest in this area as well. And um, just to give you a little bit of my background, I have a master's in philosophy and I studied political theory and uh, political philosophy as well as logic when I was in my grad program. And a lot of the um, statistical data is parsed in the same way the logic is, right? So it's not solely about the mathematics. The math matters, right? You have to get your weighting correct. You have to get your populations correct. All of these things need to be right. But the logical inputs are really, really important too because they affect the outcome of the of the decisions that, that come out of that poll more than anything else. So you can manipulate the way you you phrase questions or you can do what your director did is simply eliminate a political candidate that you probably don't like or care for. Um, so would you agree with that? Absolutely. And that's something that comes into question with every poll. And I think when you're talking about um, bias in polling, there's two kinds. And uh, there's the intentional um, biases and the unintentional. And the intentional ones are a lot of times with how the questions are written. And I think those are less common in polls like this mm-hmm. with uh, candidates because there's only so many ways you can write, you know, do you support this candidate? Um, mm-hmm. I think the main way you see bias in these type of polls is when candidates are left out like this or when all those DNC-approved polls left out like Cravel earlier on in the primary. Right. I think that's the way you see that happen. I think the more common way that um, the writing of polls is biased is in issues-based questions. So like how many uh, polls um, talk about Medicare for all as, you know, complete government takeover of healthcare or something like that. Right. So I think what PORL did here is is a, what I would call a push-pull, right? They're trying to frame the conversation before the conversation's been had. You can't have Bernie Sanders end up in a first, second, or third position if he's not included in the poll to begin with, right? It's a form of manipulation. Um, so we heard the justifications uh, given after the fact as to why this was the case, but I'm not sure that I buy that. I feel like there's something else at play here. Um, what do you think the reasons are that this happened to begin with? Why was this poll framed this way? Was it simply just cluelessness uh, about Bernie Sanders, or was it something nefarious where uh, we intentionally want to keep Bernie out of out of the press? I I, I don't I don't think it's a super malicious action. And I don't think, I know a lot of questions that I've seen going around on Twitter are asking about the funding of the lab Mm -hmm. as if there's some financial incentive for him to leave Bernie Sanders off. I don't think that's the case here. Mm -hmm. I think you see a lot more of that in uh, media punditry and with candidates themselves. I don't think it's, this is a small time. I don't think uh, funding of the lab messes with that. I think when you get a reaction like I did, where he was just laughing uh, when Bernie Sanders was brought up, I think he just genuinely doesn't think Bernie Sanders is a serious candidate, and so feels comfortable leaving him out on something like this. I think he just genuinely thinks like he's not a big deal. He's not going to go anywhere in the primary, so why bother calling him? Okay, that's fair. Which sort of brings me to my next question about Nate Silver. I noticed in your annual annual report that Nate Silver had rated you guys with an A um, on integrity, etc. So, which is a pretty high rating, but I would say that Nate Silver has been guilty of many of the same th- same things that we're discussing here. He clearly has animosity towards Bernie Sanders, and he's not hiding it whatsoever. Anyone that's read any of his uh, tweets in regards to Bernie uh, can see this. I mean, absolute tone deafness. It's almost like he has to excuse away anything good that is surrounded by Bernie. 
Um, so what, why do you think that's a, a thing? What, what is the motivation with guys like, uh, your director, Mike Bender and, and, and Nate Silver? I, they clearly don't see the voter enthusiasm that exists, uh, the, um, excitement around Bernie Sanders. I mean, you'd have to be living under a rock to not see those things, but, but they clearly think that they don't matter. And I think, um, I think that they do. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense at all to me, especially for people like Nate Silver and, uh, our lab who literally are paid to do this stuff. I mean, even if you're just looking specifically at polling, which is what they do, Bernie Sanders has consistently polled in the top three, most of the time top two, and he is now tied statistically for, for, for first place. So to count him out is just ridiculous on that metric. And then you've got the fact that he has uh, the most money raised, the most individual donors, and the most diverse um, supporters, and it's just it's silliness. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. If you look at the map of his individual uh, donors, it's astonishing. It's it's remarkable, really. And every single one of those donations is going to translate into support of some sort and most likely a vote. I don't understand how anyone can look at that data and think that this candidate isn't viable. I, I, I think it just comes from being more in those centrist e bubbles. I think they aren't I think they're just not generally left wing people. And so they look at these ideas and they have the that type of like Amy Klobuchar reaction of like this this isn't serious, this can't be done. Uh, we shouldn't even be trying to do this because it's never gonna happen. So why pay attention to a candidate who's listing out all these ridiculous proposals that'll never come to be. He's crazy, he's gonna bankrupt us. Mm-hmm. So let's move on here. What are we looking at? Yeah, that's right. I think you're right on that. The centrist bubble is genuinely real. Uh, It's amazing. So I wanted to ask you about landlines and polling. Uh, So currently, less than 50% of the households in the United States have landlines still. Everybody's migrating to cell phones, right? And that 50% is, you know, per household. um, So you could theoretically have three or four people in each household with cell phones. So there's, I mean, clearly there's a disconnect when you see polls that have 60 to 70% conducted on landlines. It's not really uh, matching what the population is. So what are your thoughts on that? Why is this happening? Why is this consistently something that's turning up? Because I think it does, uh, even if you wait the poll, I think it does affect the outcomes of, of who's saying who's voting for who. Yeah, so I know a few days ago, CNN was pulled over 62% landlines, mm-hmm. and people were in a huff about that, which is understandable. I'm not exactly sure when we get the information that we get um, when we buy lists of numbers, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure we aren't aware of the type of number until after we completed a survey with these people. So we do, like, it's, when you see a poll and it has, like, uh, 500 sample size, right? 500 people completed the poll, and here it is. Mm-hmm. It's not like we called 500 people. In a lab like ours, we do, on a typical, like, five-hour shift, we would be doing, with a full lab, about 10,000 calls a day. Hmm. And that's done for weeks just to get that 500 respondent number. So we'll do hundreds of thousands of calls just to get 500 people to answer us. And it just so happens to be that the people most likely to respond are older people with landlines. Mm-hmm. Probably because they have nothing else going on, <laughs> and it's just—it's just not something we can control. Right. Because if you if you, if you want to 
like seriously go for younger people and people with cell phones. You need to call for even longer, and that costs a lot of money, and it takes a lot of time, and that makes the polls more inaccurate, and it's just not feasible. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. That's fair. And I think also adding to that is a lot of cell phone users have applications that block unknown numbers or block suspected spam, which probably adds to the mix as well. Oh, it's unfortunate, though, because I do um, I do think it affects the outcomes of these polls, the results. Now, you're saying that you buy these numbers, for, uh, phone numbers from another entity. Now, I'm curious to know who those folks are because I don't have knowledge in this area. Um, do you know who they are? That is not a question I think I can answer. Okay. Because <laughs> I, just, I just don't know. Okay, so I want to also talk a little bit about some of the other uh, things that affect the outcomes of polls. Um, I think the big one is somebody's polls have to be heavily weighted because they don't have populations or uh, sample sizes that match the populations. And I think it's a problem because I think if you just have a better uh, sample to begin with, the more accurate the, the results are going to be. Uh, I know other people don't necessarily agree with me on that, but I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are since you work in this area. Uh, so, I mean, is it just random? Is it random? You call up these 100,000 people and you hope that it matches. You know, you hope you get enough uh, females. You hope you get enough African-Americans. You hope you get enough Asians and that it all, you know, kind of works out. Is there any way to control for that? I, I'm, I'm not sure what you can do about that because I don't, it's not, I assure you, it's not an intentional thing. Like, oh, we're purposely calling older folks. We are calling hundreds of thousands of numbers and young people just aren't picking off. Yeah, no, Ellie, that's really important information. And um, I think it's it's good for people to hear that because there is a lot of anger out there surrounding these polls. You know, when CNN comes out and says Biden's going to take 30% of the primary, uh, which is obviously not the case. People get angry when they see some of these uh, underlying issues because they recognize them as being problematic. But I don't necessarily, I agree with you, I don't necessarily think that they are intentional, but I do think they remain a problem. I mean, there's no way, there's no way Biden is taking 30% of the primary vote. This is just not happening. Yeah, and I, I think it's just one of those forms of unintentional bias that it's, it's super difficult to correct for mm-hmm. because... We're already doing so much. We can only call so many numbers and pray, pray that some young people pick up. Mm-hmm. So when you're in the throes of dialing and you're actually con- conducting the survey and you're calling people up, do you get folks that just don't want to take the survey? They don't want to talk to you? Oh, constantly. Constantly, okay. <laughs> so the young folks it, that are listening to the podcast should be receptive to you folks when, when you call, right? <laughs> yeah, please. I think I think young people are. In my anecdotal experience with calling, I haven't like asked everyone in the lab how their experience is, but for, for me calling for about a year and a half now, young people when they pick up, they're usually pretty nice and they'll do it, but they just never pick up. They always ignore it, which I understand because I ignore all those calls too. Mm-hmm. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's telemarketing or uh, student debt callers or things of this nature. So people just simply don't answer the phone at this point. Uh, The amount of telemarketing that happens on cell phones now is craziness. So I wanted to also talk with you a little bit about other methods of conducting polls, like Internet polling, per se. Um, Do you think it's uh, problematic in the sense where it's harder to control who responds and um, how they self-identify, meaning so somebody logs in to take the poll or you put it up on a website, um, you really can't control 
who is saying what and what who they're identifying as meaning like okay so 65 year old white guy could log in and claim to be a woman of color in her 20s or something of this nature is there is this a problem do you think or do you think there's a way around it or what are your thoughts on internet polls well i think the problem with internet polling isn't so much self-identification because the polling exists in um telephone polls as well like, we have no idea if the person on the other end is telling us the truth or not. We just have to take, a, take them out their word. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just really difficult to get a representative sample mm-hmm. with an online poll. Because, I mean, if you look at a lot of these online polls, even like Daily Coast or whatever, they can sometimes get like 40% who say they're going to vote for Andrew Yang, and that's obviously not the case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's easy to get your troops riled up and to get them to go take the poll, right? So that kind of contorts the um, the sample size as well, because you don't know, like, how many of these people that are logging into this poll are Yang supporters? How many of these people are Warren supporters? How many people are Bernie supporters? Yeah, it's, it's hard to tell. And I think the other problem, too, in that regards is social media marketing. So anyone that puts up a Twitter poll now, for example, can buy uh, votes. You can actually log into one of these social media marketing sites and say, I want to buy 2,000 votes for this poll and on the, under this person, and they can make that happen. So obviously that is not scientific. So definitely not scientific. Um, so, uh, so do you think we're going to end up sort of in the same similar space that we did in 2016 in the sense that all of the pundits uh, were claiming, all the media personalities were claiming that Hillary had the election in the bag, that it was hers, um, and that Trump didn't have a chance. And, you know, I thought that was wrong. I thought it was clear to me that that was wrong. Anybody that had been actually paying paying attention could see that it was wrong, in my opinion. And I remember even um, saying the day that Bernie Sanders lost the primary was the day that Trump won the presidency. I didn't think Hillary was going to win at all. So... So I wonder if if that's where we're headed again now. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, uh, I was also sounding the alarm. Um, mm-hmm. it's, I think, so when you ask about people being receptive to polling, uh, something that has happened since 2016 is a lot of Republicans, when we call them, they tell us, we're not going to take your poll, it's fake news. <laughs> and they have that reaction because of the 2016 polls and how they were reported on. So this is where I think most of the intentional form of bias comes uh, from polling. It's not in the actual polls themselves, but how they're reported on. Because you had pundits saying Hillary's got a 60, 70, 80, 90% chance to win when most of the polls had her winning within the margin of error. And that's what happened. She won the popular vote within the margin of error and lost the Electoral College. But everyone was like just super cocky and, well, we got this in the bag. She's popping champagne the night before and see how that panned out. So I think you're right on that, Ellie, and I think it sort of uh, is part of one of the big beefs that I had with Nate Silver and and what he was doing. I think that he uses a Bayesian model based on uh, like an if-then material conditional where he inputs the data to come to the results that he gets to, uh, but I'm not sure beyond that. But it seems to me that a lot of the polls that I was looking at did have Clinton within the margin of error. He had... Trump at a 30% chance of winning, which is not. And it bothers me that he was so far off in his polling analysis, yet had a lot of hubris about it. That's a huge chance to lose, but exactly. it's, still, it's still framed as, oh, there's like 
like she's got this. Like people say 50 percent or 80 percent, like oh she's got this. Mm-hmm. You don't realize that 10, 20, 30 percent is huge, mm-hmm. and they, they don't understand it because the media doesn't report it that way. They report mm-hmm. it as oh this is going to be a landslide. Right, right. So I wanted to uh, shift gears for a moment and discuss exit polls because I think exit polls are a very uh, integral way of, of maintaining integrity in our vote. And unfortunately, in 2016, we saw the media walk away from doing exit polling in a large in a lot of the large states during the primary. And I think it was a problem. And I would like to not see a repeat of that um, this year. So what are your thoughts on exit polling? Do you agree with me that they're integral to maintaining voter integrity? And does your firm uh, do any types of exit polling or are they planning on doing any primary exit polling? No, we don't. And I have not heard anything about plans to do so, um, which is kind of a shame. I don't know. Well, I do know why. We suddenly stopped doing them in 2016. I think I know why anyway, but okay. it's something so, I could start bringing up, but I don't know if we have any plans to do so. So what is your area of emphasis in political science, uh, and do you have a favorite philosopher? Um, so I'm a political science major with uh, a focus in international relations. Okay. Um, I don't know if I could pick a favorite philosopher out of a hat, but I'm mostly concerned with Human rights, human rights violations. I spent a lot of time looking at the Middle East. I've written like seven different papers on Iraq. Nice. Um, it, it's kind of ridiculous. I've been, co- I've been in college for like four or five years now, and, and every year I can still write papers about how we're still in Iraq, still in Iraq, still in Iraq. We're still there like five years later, six years later. It's just come on. Right. And it's insane. Lately, we've been seeing a lot of the media uh, and punditry out there trying to rehabilitate George Bush as if he's not a war criminal that doesn't belong in The Hague. I mean, he's guilty of sending us to war knowingly based on false intelligence. And it fucked up a lot of people's lives. People died. We destabilized a region. It's like scary to me. And at the the same token, um, I guess people forget they forget what's in their rearview mirror. And it wouldn't surprise me if 20 years from now, the same group of liberals were saying, hey, Trump's not that bad. I didn't think it'll take that long. Yeah, <laughs> you're probably right. So what are some of your other thoughts on where polls can go wrong? Have you seen other nefarious things or um, have you noticed um, other things that we should be looking at or criticizing? Yes. Um, I don't know how you can, I, I don't think you can solve this. But one of the other forms of unintentional bias, I think, is that for election polls, we always call likely voters. So voters that are called are voted in the past two or three elections. And the problem with that is, especially going forward with campaigns popping up like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's and Bernie Sanders, is their strategies become unpollable because they don't target likely voters. Mm-hmm. They target the non-voters and the unlikely voters, and we just don't call those people, so we can't pull them. And so you've got these situations like in Michigan in 2016 where Bernie Sanders won, even though he was 21 points down in the polls, mm-hmm. because he doesn't target those voters. And it's 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 a drawback of polling um, with the crop of these new left-wing campaigns that I, I don't know how to address, but it's a... A form of bias that I think people on the left need to take into account when they're uh, maybe getting antsy about some of these polls. Mm-hmm. 
I 100% agree with you, Ellie. Uh, these campaigns are most definitely pulling in unlikely, unlikely voters, and that's where a lot of the draw is coming from. And I would say in that respect, the other issue is uh, independent voters. A lot of these primary Democratic polls only poll registered Democrats, and a lot of their support's coming from independents. And I think it's uh, important to remember that only, what, 26, 27% of the country is actually registered Democratic, and a good 46% is registered independent. So obviously, these folks that are independent are a bigger chunk of, of people, and um, their opinion should matter if we're trying to figure out who is most likely to win this election. And I think it's also important that, uh, you know, obviously in states that have closed primaries, that's a different story. But in a, in a state like uh, California, where you have a semi-open primary or in a place like Michigan, those uh, those those outcomes can definitely affect what happens. Well, for sure. Um, for our lives specifically, it's not too big of a problem because Florida, for now, I believe we're going to get it on the ballot next time. But for now, we're a closed primary state. So it's not a big deal for us, but for, for other yeah. states, definitely a big deal. Exactly. So there should be a method in which they just pull the population in these states where where um, independents can vote. And I think you will end up having different results. And I also think it sort of uh, weighs on which direction the general is going to take, because in a general election, it's not simply just Democrats, registered Democrats that you're appealing to. You need those swing voters to win the general. And I think um, knowing where those voters stand during a primary could be very helpful helpful for the party if they want to win an election. So we should be polling these folks. We should be polling the independents. We should be polling the unlikely voters to find out where they stand. Um, what is what is your thoughts on that? Do you think there is a direction we could take that would make that happen? Is that something that's likely to change as far as the way these polls are structured for the future? It's hard to say because I want that to be the case, but like, by definition, these unlikely voters are unlikely voters. We can't be sure that they're actually going to go out and vote. And, I mean, that's the same with the likely voters. Sometimes they say, oh, I'm not too, not too sure I'm going to vote this time. But it's, I think polling has been fairly accurate for a while now. But when you've got these, uh, these new left wing campaigns cropping up, it's when they start to really show their flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, disrupt- it's disruptive, like a black swan. Um, so... The, the problem here, though, is that we're not getting an accurate reflection of the landscape. So you have Biden pulling out 30 percent because the people that are being spoken to are these vote blue no matter who folks. Right. They're not the unlikely voters that AOC brought in, et cetera. So, um, you know, I don't know how we fix this, but honestly, appealing to the vote, n- vote blue no matter who crowd isn't the answer to winning the election because they are obviously going to vote blue no matter who even if they hate bernie they're going to vote for him right we have to bring in these other these other voters exactly and and in a general election those aren't the type of voters those vote blue no matter who are not the type of voters that a candidate like bernie sanders is going to go after mm-hmm. he's going right. to go after non-voters going to go after independence mm-hmm. i think that's right even though bernie sanders lost the primary i think he absolutely would have won the general absolutely and so for instance in florida you've got 250,000 more registered Democrats than Republicans. Hmm. And yet, Republicans trap Democrats in almost every statewide election. It's because these Democrats don't go after the unlikely voters. Because you'll get, um, 
polling where, say in 2018, we did polling on the governor's race and had Andrew Gillum beating DeSantis by four and six points in those two polls. And he lost. It was incredibly close, but he lost because he he tilted to the right in the general election and he wasn't able to pull out the unlikely voters. Mm-hmm. So no, he lost I- within the margin of error on uh, likely voters. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. I think that's another valid point. Uh, these folks will stay home. They won't come out and vote for another neoliberal corporate-backed candidate. Um, and you're right. Gillum definitely shifted to the right. That was part of the problem. He lost that progressive vote when he did that during the general election. Yeah, it's, it's just a problem with Democrats in general because it was, it was just a numbers game. Democrats would win every time. There are much more uh, registered Democrats than Republicans. But the ones who come out are always going to come out no matter what. You don't have to worry about them. You don't have to cater to them. You don't have to cater to these non-existent swing voters. You have to get out your base, and the Democrats fit in their eye the base like every chance they get. Yeah, it's true. It- exactly, and they've made an art out of it. Um, look at the 2016 primary again, and you'll see that the folks that decided that election were the folks that decided not to vote. They stayed home. The voter enthusiasm was terrible. Uh, people didn't come out to vote. So you had people um, even showing up to vote that voted only down ballot and didn't vote for the president. So, you know, obviously these folks matter and we should be going out of, the, out of our way to earn their votes. Yeah, and she couldn't even get out a lot of those two times Obama voters. Yeah, that's right. That's another big uh, chunk of the electorate. There was something like 9% of the voters that voted for Obama that turned around and voted for Trump. Yeah, it's ridiculous, especially in the uh, the Rust Belt where she ignored. So if the DNC was strategically smart, they would realize this and they would understand that the vote blue no matter who contingency is going to do exactly that. So even if they say they don't like Bernie Sanders, they will vote for Bernie Sanders if he is the Democratic nominee. But the reverse is not true. And we need those other votes if we're going to win the general election. The unfortunate thing is, with the DNC, I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't because they they genuinely don't believe in these left wing ideas, so I don't think they're ever going to get behind them yeah. or candidates who espouses them. So even if Bernie Sanders wins, I think the DNC will attack him more than anyone else. Yeah, I don't disagree, and I think uh, what will be interesting is to see what happens at the convention. I don't think we're going to be able to go into the convention with the enough delegates to not go into a second round of voting. And I think at that point, the super delegates are going to try to kneecap Bernie Sanders. It's, it's, it's a scary situation. I'm really, I'm really hoping that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warner, it will work out some kind of deal where she gives him enough delegates to get through it. Um, But I I just, there's no way to tell right now. Nothing, no, no voting has happened. It's, it's anything to happen at this point. So has your organization done any polling in the primary states like New Hampshire and uh, Iowa? Um, we are doing, right now actually, we're doing a New Hampshire poll. Well, we'll have to await the results on that then. And I wanted to ask you what your Twitter handle is in case folks want to follow you on Twitter. Sure, it's uh, at Ellie the Leftist. And that's E-L-L-I-E the Leftist, right? Excellent. Any parting words on polling? Well, specifically for my fellow Bernie Sanders supporters, I just want to tell you that I think polling 
is generally fine. But you have to understand that for us specifically, it needs to be taken with a little bit of a grain of salt because Bernie Sanders' strategy, it's unpullable. Yes, pulling is important. If Bernie Sanders is suddenly pulling at 5%, you should probably be panicking. Mm-hmm. But if he is staying steady at like 20%, he's in third place, second place, fine. That's good. Keep knocking on doors. Keep making phone calls. We can still win this thing. Don't need to be leading 20 points in the poll, uh, in the polls for us to, to win, uh, for us to win this thing. Um, the polls are important, but they're not, they're not crucial for a campaign like ours. 